Welcome to Fami Books with Aaron, Paul, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. Blah, ah, 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 blah, ah, 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 blah, ah, ah, ah. This is Paul. <laughs> hey, this is Wayne. I think I think my ears also just broke. <laughs> <laughs> it's our annual Halloween episode, and I admit I forgot that that's how you introduce our Halloween episodes. <laughs> that is the way we introduce the Halloween episodes. Yeah, it's Blah! tradition. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> I got I got to channel my you know inner Eastern European. <laughs> well, uh, you know, but before we before we dive in to all of the Halloween spookiness of this episode. Uh, the very last episode of She-Hulk uh, what dropped this week uh, for season one. And I got to tell you, Wayne, yep. the opening to that episode was, I think, my my most favorite thing of anything that happened this season in She-Hulk. Uh, yeah. The, the the tribute to the the old 1980s Incredible Hulk show with Dr. David Bruce Banner was just amazing. I loved yeah, it. I love that as well. It's probably the only thing I did love in that episode, but uh, I really enjoyed it as a fan of that show. Mm-hmm. I saw someone on Facebook make a post about how uh, it saddens them to realize that half of the audience probably has yeah. no frame of reference for it. Yeah. The only frame of reference I think they may have is like from, uh, you know, perhaps a Kevin Smith podcast with uh, with with Ralph. Uh, what's his name? Ralph Garman. Uh, yeah, because, you know, they always do the 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 sad Hulk music. Right. Yeah. Um, and maybe some YouTube clips. But I doubt I, I doubt many in the audience have actually seen an episode of the Bill Bixby Lou Ferrigno Hulk show. Uh, but, boy, I, I, I thought I thought that was just hysterical. Um, I thought the episode as in most cases throughout the season broke down when we broke the fourth wall. And while I thought her jumping through the Disney plus menu was amusing, it really didn't make for, for good TV in my opinion. Yeah. So I don't mind the fourth wall breaking in any of the other episodes. I actually really enjoyed it in the episode previous to this, where she's questioning why the episode isn't over at that point. But here it was just too much yeah because breaking the fourth wall is a nice fun way to just interact with the viewers things like that but in this case it was let's stop the actual story and undo everything that's just happening and not actually show what's going to happen to end well your climax in the episode was the breaking the fourth wall and talking to you know the the, kevin ai right the you did not get a, a fight scene climax. You didn't get a court scene climax. I mean, it was all denouement after after the Kevin scene. And I was like, wow, this is wildly unsatisfying. Now, don't get me wrong. I thought the Kevin Feige AI, <laughs> you know, that they had was amusing. Yeah. And, you know, there was a lot of winking going on uh, in, in, that, in this episode. I appreciated that she was asking the Kevin AI questions like, when are we going to see the X-Men? You know, asking fan <laughs> questions. I mean, I thought some of that was funny, but, you know, at no point did I have a, a, a bust out loud laugh. It was just kind of, huh, I see what you did there. You know, I, I 
that's and that's kind of how I felt about most of this season. There have been moments that I've really enjoyed, like the opening uh, scene in, in this episode. But for the most part, I found it very disappointing. And what a what a dud the reveal about, you know, Planet Hulk. Uh, yeah. I mean, could that have been delivered any more flat? I was really looking forward to finding out what was happening with him on, you know, going back into space. But mm-hmm. that was such a non-event the way they did right. it. Yeah. And, you know, he, you know, apparently is off in space, but not for very long because he he is off in space. And then at the end of the season, he shows back up. And oh, by the way, this is my son. <laughs> yeah, and shows up at the family barbecue, right? I mean, it's just it 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 drops the question, and I'm sure that a lot of people are really you know excited about what's coming next, but it doesn't cue up a uh, a, a successful uh, tantalizing story, in my opinion, because it just sort of dropped. Yeah, and is that really going to be the actor they use for? God, I hope not, because yeah. he just looked like nothing. Yeah, and he had no yeah. lines. And- yeah. Yeah, I found it to be hugely disappointing. The show overall, I thought it started weak, it got really good, and then it ended by falling flat on its face. Yeah, I think the best way to describe this season of She-Hulk was wildly uneven. Um, I think I, I like a lot of the casting. I've warmed up to, uh, and I can't remember her name, the the the, the main actor on the show, but uh, I I feel like they need a tighter uh, writing room and I hope that they take it a little bit more seriously. It doesn't have to be grim and gritty, but you know, it just never felt like there were any real stakes. In fact, the argument that she's having with the Kevin AI about what her stakes are, I'm like, yeah, why didn't you do that through the entire season? You know, and if you're a legal dramedy, why aren't you more prepared for court? And why aren't people holding you accountable for not being prepared for court? Yes. I mean, I feel like she's not a very good attorney, and we know that's not true. You know, I but this iteration of, of Jen Walters is not a very good attorney. Yeah, no, when Daredevil walks in, I Matt Murdock walks in and just hands her her ass in court. Yeah. It's like I wanted to see them fight it out in Same. court. But I, 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 I didn't I, want it to be because she didn't even know the basics. That she hadn't read client. the file. <laughs> you know. I I like a legal drama. You know, I like shows like The Practice, enjoyed L.A. Law back in the day. And I was really hoping we get some of that, you know, like a real legal drama, not just the the courtroom as a setting. Right. I, I want to I want all those little pieces, parts. And they just played it for laughs. And I don't think the laughs were particularly effective. But yeah. anyway, I'm so, hoping that if they if they come back for a season two, that it's a better thing. Yeah. So, I mean. It really did fit in our uh, Halloween horror episode because it was horrorable. That is right. It was horrorable. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you guys aren't because uh, I was like, you know, people seem to really have enjoyed that season finale. Maybe I'll give it a maybe. Maybe I just need to get caught up on she Hulk because I've still only seen the first episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but now <laughs> I don't feel like I will. Well, I got to um, say, it is my second least favorite Marvel show. Mm. Yeah. What I am seeing at this point is that finale is very divisive. Mm-hmm. I am seeing people that absolutely loved it. And then people like Aaron and I that just did not like it at all. Yeah. 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 That is a shame. Yeah. It, it sucks when you commit so much time to something and then the ending just 
doesn't stick the landing. Yeah. But, you know, I kind of felt like it wasn't going to stick the landing because they really hadn't stuck the middle either. <laughs> you know, I mean, there 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 were a few standout uh, episodes like uh, uh, the Just Jen episode was hilarious. I really enjoyed the Just Jen episode. Um, there, there were there were a couple of standout moments that, you know, they just needed to lean more into those things. Uh, and, you know, it kept claiming to be a legal show and it never really was. Anyway, but hey, Paul. Yeah. Welcome back. We missed you last week. No, you didn't. No, you Partic- didn't. Particularly uh, missed you during the uh, social media portion of the. Uh, <laughs> I did catch show. that. Yeah. <laughs> but don't worry, our aim's getting better. Yeah. <laughs> um. So Werewolf by Night dropped last week, and we saved this conversation so that Paul could be here because because Paul is our local Halloween and horror aficionado. I am. And, you know, at least I, I will say at least Werewolf by Night was only one episode. It wasn't, <laughs> you know, we didn't have to sit through eight episodes of it. 50 ish minutes. 50 ish minutes. <laughs> I, you know, honestly, so Werewolf by Night, it, it is directed by Michael Giacchino. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think this is maybe his directing. It is. It is debut. his directorial debut. Yeah. And, um, you know, features. Uh, it, it, it's mostly mostly in black and white um you know and, and features the character jack russell werewolf by night also features um man thing man thing elsa bloodstone um and it's it's kind of this all set in one night monster hunt uh story and um yeah i was quite looking forward to this and, and the you know the grindhouse style employed in the trailer and i, I was like kind of it, almost to a certain extent like she hulk I appreciate that they're trying to do different things in the Marvel universe because mm-hmm. I feel like one of our one of the main complaints about the Marvel universe, you know, and it's not specifically our complaint, but just in general, um, is that they're they're kind of movie paint by numbers at this point, right? Mm-hmm. They they have a set studio style, they have a set studio feel, they don't really veer too hard from that. And I was looking forward to Werewolf by Night being something that possibly did. It didn't. <laughs> but I was hopeful that it was going to, and it starts off really strong. Honestly, I thought it, I thought it started strong. I thought that it ended well ish. Uh, there was a, a gigantic middle piece there in that 50 ish minutes that mm-hmm. I thought were super boring. Wow. Yeah. And see, I'm the opposite of, I thought it started horribly and then built up and got better and then ended pretty well. See, I, we, we all had different takes on it. I thought it started <laughs> strong it did have a, a lag in the middle, which when something's only 55 minutes, shouldn't have a lag. No, it um, should have been 30 minutes. Yeah. Then it, it picked up a bit. Yeah. And then I really hated the ending because it felt like they went too far into the humor aspect of it. And I'm like, uh-huh. am I watching Thor Love and Thunder right now? Right. Or am I watching Werewolf by Night? Like, I don't know that I need to see, you know, Jack Russell sitting on a log with Man Thing talking about going to get sushi. Like, I was like, what what am, what just happened? <laughs> yeah. So you uh, hit on one of my issues with the basically the whole show overall. It felt like it wasn't sure what it wanted to be. Yeah. You I, can this, you tell that we're, that we're, that's how we feel about it? Yeah, you get this black and white show that feels kind of it feels like it would have been a good period piece even, but then you get like sci-fi elements and really ridiculously over the top comedic level hunters and it's like are you going for this tribute 
to those uh, old black and white horror movies? Or are you going with, you know, a comedy? Because some of those hunters were just ridiculous. Maybe that's my, maybe that's my main issue with it is that it was very inconsistent. Um, it didn't yeah. it didn't feel like it knew what it wanted to be. So I didn't know how to take it. Mm-hmm. Well, and what did you think of the werewolf himself? Because disappointing. I, yeah, I mean, I look at it and it's like in one aspect, he did look like he did in the comic books originally. He did look very Wolfman and tribute. On the other hand, it's 2022. We can have him look better than that. Yeah, you got that Disney money. Like Man-Thing? I thought Man-Thing looked terrific. Man-Thing rocked. Yeah. But, you know, the problem is, is that they never... Jack communicates, you know, look him in the eye. Yeah, you know, not... not, uh, When he's talking to Man-Thing, you know, stay calm, yada, yada. He's giving her direction. But we never hear the phrase, you know... Those who know fear burn burn. at the touch of the Man-Thing. Exactly. And you need that, because otherwise... You know, when you see the man thing reach out to somebody, you should be cringing as he's reaching out, not because, ooh, it's this big monster, but is he going to sense fear? Is the guy going to burn? You know, and the the guy who burns, you know, he burns this one guy just down to nothing. Um, and there is it just happens so fast. And I guess, you know, part of that is it's Disney. And so they're not going to, you know, languish in the suffering, but you're luxuriate in the suffering, I should say. But. I found that fr- that part frustrating because I wanted to build up the mystique of Man Thing. Um, I did love that we just kept calling him Ted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, there was a delicious noir aspect to the way a lot of this thing was shot. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, when Paul asked me what I thought earlier in the week, I said, you know, I think there were some moments of brilliance. You know, I, I feel like Giacchino had a real good sense for certain scenes, but I also feel like the pacing was so bad in the middle part, you know, during the chase, during the hunt and chase at no point did I feel like we were going to get an ending other than the ending that we got. Right. Um, so I never felt like, you know, our heroes were at risk. Um, I never felt like, you know, that it leaned into the darkness as much. In fact, I saw an interview with Michael Giacchino and he was saying that, you know, I kept asking, you know, for more and more blood and they kept giving it to me. Yeah, I, I never. That. And I was like, uh, I mean, I guess because it's but it's they yeah. got away with some because it's black and white. But but it's yeah. still it's not like it was buckets of gore. No, and know? everything horrific happened off screen. Yeah, yeah. it would have still been PG-13, yeah. <laughs> even if it was in color. And to your point. About the werewolf effects, number one, curiously little werewolf in a a show called Werewolf by Night. Um, But the werewolf scenes, he should have been much more monstrous and much more terrifying. And but, you know, I mean, again, there are parts of it in the in the beginning that I like. There are parts of it in the ending that I liked. I think that the the color scenes at the end should have been broken by credits. Right. I mean, because it just immediately yeah. sort of dovetails into that. And I feel like you needed a break from it. Um, I think you might have felt better about it, Paul, if there had been, you know, a, a break in the credits. Now, the one thing that I will say that was good throughout in this entire thing was the score by Michael. Giacchino. I was about to say, speaking of moments of genius, the yeah. score was beautiful, especially, yeah. the, you know, the main they, they literally call it the main theme. But M.A.N.E., uh-huh. um, you know, the end credits and beginning credit stuff. The music is, I mean, it's Michael Giacchino. I mean, the guy has right. 
has done some wonderful movies. He really has. He really has. He he's he has emerged as a you know in the last twenty years or so as a uh, you know really standout uh, musician and uh, and uh, something else uh, yeah. conductor I should say. But I'll, uh, I'll say yeah, some of ahead. the things I liked. I really liked Elsa Bloodstone. She was good. I uh, I thought the having Ulysses Bloodstone as a like his corpse being puppeted. I, I like kind of. I kind of like that as a old creepy thing, but then you go over the top with like the guy walking with the flaming tuba. And when you start dealing with their mercenary people, they're all generic and body armor with, you know, shock sticks. Again, it felt like it couldn't make up its mind what it wanted to be. Agreed. Yeah. You know, Aaron, you made a point about the, uh, the move to the color um, at the end. I think my issue with it, and I understood what they were going for because they play, you know, the Somewhere Over the Rainbow song by Judy Garland. Right. Um, I shouldn't say I get what they were going for. <laughs> I understood the cinematic intent of playing that song when it switched over to color. Right. I did not quite understand why it switched to color at all. I was trying to pick that apart as well. And it felt like, you know, in Wizard of Oz, when we're in color, it's when we're in Oz. Right. And so it's almost like they're saying that the black and white pieces of the film you know the film mm-hmm. uh is kansas right you know dust bowl kansas and now that they're you know sitting in the marvel cinematic universe they're in oz that's yeah. what it seemed it seemed to be the reverse of what you experience in wizard of oz and it just seemed a strange statement given how fantastical the uh the show was i well, took it as it it's the sign that the night is over it is now now the uh-huh. event, the hunt, all of that is done and they're moving back. And now it's integrating into the regular Marvel Universe. I do hope this means we get to see more man thing. I do, too, because I will yeah. say the one thing that I the only thing I liked about that, the switch to color is that man thing looked so much better in color uh-huh. than he did in black and white. Yeah. Well, uh, and he's such a good fit for this phase of the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Where it's dealing with the multiverse. Yeah. I want to see him in the bayou guarding the nexus of realities. Now, I will say, if, you know, because they, they're kind of using this werewolf by night as a tiptoe into the water of the, you know, supernatural elements. And if this is the feel that they're going for, for the Marvel supernatural universe, not digging it. Yeah. I'm glad they, I'm glad they have postponed Blade to rework it. Um, and I, we didn't talk about, well, maybe you talked about it last week, but yeah, the movie Blade has been, you know, kind of, they shut down production for now because they want to go kind of back to, back to the drawing board on it. And if, if that's, I, I'm hopeful that they will come, they will come up with something consistent because I feel like when the Marvel Netflix shows came out, while they still had a tie to the Marvel universe, I felt like they had a distinct feel all their own. Grim and that, gritty. That, grim and gritty, <laughs> but, but it worked. I yeah. feel like. Marvel is trying these other things, but they're trying too hard to make them work in the Marvel Cinematic Universe versus just loosely tied. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's where I struggled with Werewolf by Night. It was just a, a little bit inconsistent or a lot inconsistent. But yeah. the score is available on, on Apple Music and I've listened to it and it's quite good. So, yeah, honestly, yeah. it makes me worried for things like Deadpool 3. Well, yeah. I love that they're bringing Hugh Jackman back to have the two of them interact. If they're going to try to make it fit and feel to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that makes me a little nervous for it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, you know, Werewolf by Night, not, you know, wasn't a home run for us, but, you know, it kind of got us thinking since we're, since this is our Halloween episode as me and Aaron introduced the show. Um, we kind of thought, you know, hey, we should probably revisit the conversation, you know, uh, as we do every year around this time of what horror comic books, movies, TV shows, novel, you know, media are we enjoying right now that that we want to share with you all? Yeah, you know, I, I, when I was approaching the list, we're going to talk about you know comics, movies, TV shows, novels, uh, as Paul was saying, and. I feel like anytime I talk about such things, I always talk about Tomb of Dracula. Uh, and so I have made a commitment, Paul. <laughs> I've made a commitment, Wayne. I am not going to revisit something that I have recommended previously. So that's my commitment this year. My commi- right. I, I actually decided to just talk about current things. That was mm-hmm. that was my thinking. Oh, there you go. There you go. Well, uh, I'll, I'll kick us off if you guys don't mind. Uh, I do not mind. For the uh, first round, we, we're going to talk about uh, a horror comic that we would recommend to you. Each one of us will have a recommendation. And my recommendation is something that I just reread th- this week in preparation for today's show. Um, I'm a big fan of the uh, uh, Hellboy universe over in uh, in the pages of uh, Dark Horse. Uh, and in particular, I think, you know, the thing that spun out of uh, Hellboy – is the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense books, or the BPRD. That was a spinoff from, from Hellboy, and I think it greatly surpasses Hellboy in terms of its storytelling and, in particular, its horror. Uh, and there is you – know, there's, there's a whole section of that story called Hell on Earth in which the apocalypse happens, and the BPRD is still trying to work within the apocalypse. And – the there is a two issue uh, or a two part comic book series called uh, BPRD Hell on Earth the Pickens County Horror and it gives you just a little slice of the horror happening within uh, the ongoing apocalypse um, as the world is just crumbling and falling apart and something that's happening up in the mountains in this you know little mountain community and turns out it is a coven of vampires in fact you know we come to find out that there is a whole bunch of vampire myth and lore uh, we get to to follow two um bprd agents think of them as you know uh Mulder and scully uh up in the up in the mountains discovering this coven of of uh, vampires while at the same time dealing with the strange fruiting mushrooms and the the you know uh, eerie fog that comes down it's just very ethereal very very legitimately creepy this book it is uh, you know obviously one you know a Mike Mignola joint with Scott Alley, Jason Latour and David Stewart and these two books are fantastic. Uh, I, just, I very much enjoy them. I love the art. I love the writing. I love the pacing. I love the tone. There, there is just nothing here not to love. And it is creepy as all get out. So, Wayne, right. what recommendation do you have for us? Okay, good. I get to go next. I'm afraid Paul might actually steal mine. <laughs> I uh, figured that we were going to go for the same one. So I chose a second one. You go yeah. first, Wayne. <laughs> okay, so there was a series that came out not too long ago. Uh, it's on volume two right now, so you can get the first volume in trade, and it's called Night of the Ghoul. It was 
absolutely incredible and creepy and it covers this uh, like it starts off with a homage to film there's callbacks to like world war ii in it the idea that a lot of the monsters of myth are all actually the same creature that just is seen from different ways the book was so good and it hits on like family stories multi-generational stories as well as having a monster that is legitimately scary yeah, I find that horror fantasy and horror action are pretty easy to get a, a, get out in a comic, but I find that true scary horror yeah. is super hard to get That's out in a comic. comic. And absolutely. Um, but and neither I the feel like sells the, it. Yeah, and I feel like the art in the book really adds to it. Francesco it, Francavilla. Yes. Oh, yeah. He's got he, he is a, a good horror uh, artist. Uh, he didn't he, he did some Sabrina, right? Yeah, he did. Uh, no, he did uh, Afterlife with Archie. Thank you. I knew it was one of those. Yep. And Scott Snyder is the writer on it. And and to Wayne's point, if you are a Comixology Unlimited subscriber, it is included in the cost of your uh, subscription. It, it is probably one of the best horror comics that I've read. Yeah, certainly the best one I've read in years, um, but maybe one of the best ones I've read ever. Um, but high praise. Yeah, it is it, it, it because it sells the horror, right? And yeah, it does so in a way that's not necessarily um, – you know, a creep show or tales of the crypt kind of thing, uh, you know, where it's a, kind of a short anthology, but really it, it's a, I think a five issue or six issue series. And it, it just gets progressively more tense. So yeah, I, I, I agree with your selection, Wayne. Yeah. I am curious what your runner up was that, uh, that you picked knowing that I was going to go with that, you know, because I figured you'd go with that. I was like, okay, I can't also do that. So I actually chose uh, most of my choices are actually things that have come out recently. Um, just because t- 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 like Aaron said, I'm not going to keep revisiting tomb of Dracula. Um, <laughs> but I actually really enjoyed uh, this past week. There's uh, a new comic from image comics called dark ride from Joshua Williamson and Andre Bresson. And the, the basic premise of it is that this theme park, um, designer has sold his soul to the devil to create, um, you know, kind of a, 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 a very popular theme park called devil land. And it, it is very much not a story to be taken seriously, but it's got, it's, it's got a fun vibe to it. It's morbid. And if you all know me, it scratches me right where I itch because it has horror and it has a theme park story. <laughs> um, you know, and it's, it's about this kind of family that this generational, like the next generation has taken over the responsibility of the park. So it's basically like if Walt Disney had sold his soul to make Disney Disneyland. Didn't he? (laughs) Cause the character even kind of has a Walt Disney vibe with, you know, the, the white shirt and the suspenders and the tie and the mustache. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, only the first issue was out. And I will say uh, the first issue actually surprised me because it, it, you know, kind of in, in, in a typical horror fashion, you feel like you're following one character, that you're going to follow this one character um, for the, the duration of the series. And uh, spoiler warnings, you're not. Um, mm. So mm. Uh, I, I actually, you know, it was a, a nice little surprise. And I, I've been looking forward to the book um, since they announced it because of horror amusement parks, that kind of thing. And uh, I, I will say the first issue, which is all that's out right now, um, definitely met my expectations. And I'm looking forward to the rest of it. 
So, Paul, what was the name of it again? Dark Ride. It's from Image Comics. Because I am going to buy it right now because you've sold me on it. It is. Look at that. I'm Paul sells a comic. I want to give a shout out to my runner up. Uh, I didn't pick it because it is a new recent book and there's only been two issues. But the Scott Snyder Canary. I haven't read it yet, but I've been. Oh, wait, no, that's the, the Western one. We did read yes. that one. Yeah, yes, that, that is really good. I did. Yeah. I really enjoyed Canary. Yeah. Because and I'll give I'll give a shout out to my runner up Tomb of Dracula. <laughs> Damn it, Aaron. <laughs> well, our next round is a horror movie. And um, uh, my my recommendation this year is a strange recommendation for me in that I normally do not care for remakes. You know, I, I'm generally, you know, if the if the original movie was good, leave it the hell alone. Uh, is generally my thought on these things. But this is one of the finest remakes I've ever seen uh, in terms of really, you know, taking sort of the core concept and then building on it and making it something completely on its own. Uh, The movie I'm talking about is uh, the 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers remake with uh, with Donald Sutherland and Mm -hmm. Brooke Adams. Uh, and, you know, any movie that headlines Donald Sutherland, you know, that's going to be an edgy sort of film, you know, because he's not your your nor- your typical leading man. Uh, you know that that Donald Sutherland's just kind of going to grate on your nerves <laughs> uh, in whatever he's playing, that he's going to tell jokes that aren't funny and they're a little off. They're a little off putting. Uh, there is there is a, a really sort of weird energy that Donald Sutherland brings to all of his performances across the entire book of his career. And he really leans into it here. And the strange thing is that he is the good guy. He is our hero. He is the person through whom we see this world, through whom we see this alien invasion taking over uh, the bodies of, of, of people throughout. He plays a health inspector working for the San Francisco Department of Public Health. Um, he is surrounded by a terrific cast, like I said, Brooke Adams, Jeff Goldblum, and a very early turn in his career. He's just a baby in this. Uh, he's in it as well as uh, <laughs> Veronica Cartwright, and you, she's a real that person in in film and TV. You'd you'd know her if you saw her. In fact, she was an alien. Uh, but uh, I, one of my favorite actors in this movie is Leonard Nimoy in a very rare appearance of him playing a bad guy. Um, and it is it is creepy as hell seeing, you know, uh, Leonard Nimoy playing someone uh, who is just really not working towards our best interests. Uh, he plays a psychiatrist. And I feel like the movie is saying a lot about the pop psychiatry, pop psychology of the 70s in this film uh, through Leonard Nimoy. Uh, the movie just starts creepy. There's there's things happening in the background. It's one of the beautiful things about being able to watch this streaming is that you can stop it to watch what's going on in the background because there's even from the very earliest scenes in the film, there's stuff going on in the background that you know that they are not spoon feeding to you, right? The the director is just putting it all there. If you catch it, great. If not, and I think there is a subliminal element to it that your that your mind is is picking up on it 
uh, even if you're not consciously aware of it. And it just keeps ramping up and ramping up and ramping up until it you just come to this terrible and horrible ending. Uh, it is just the best kind of horror. Uh, I, I, I really love this film, and it's sort of a perennial favorite for me. Yeah, that is a that is a great movie. Um, actually, you know, I I will say there are very few iterations of that story that have the title Body Snatchers mm-hmm. that I dislike because mm-hmm. I even liked the one that came out years later mm-hmm. um, that had I think Gabriel Anwar was in it and Meg Ryan Meg Tilly Meg Tilly. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed that one. I also enjoyed the Puppet Masters, which also had Donald Sutherland in it. Mm-hmm. So I just I like that story. It, yeah, it's it, well, it, number one, it's a good story, and it you can use that metaphor to communicate a lot, you know, to to talk a lot about society, right? Um, I, I there there are lines in the movie that I think are just you know spot on. Um, you know, there is a line. Let's see if I can find it here. Um, I took the note on it. La la la. I'm not finding it. Never mind. Uh, but you know, the, I, I think that the dialogue is terrific in this film, and you know, just like the 1950s original, it it, ha- it is making a commentary on modern society, and you know, I think I think it's a, a nice way to see what filmmakers thought of the 70s. You know, watching this film, just like watching the original, is a nice way to see what filmmakers thought of the 50s. Yeah. So. It's a really good show. I, if you if you've not seen it, I highly recommend it. So Wayne, so mine is one that I saw just recently. It was a 2021 film, and uh, it was nothing that I expected. The movie's called Willie's Wonderland. I just saw that movie yesterday. <laughs> yeah, it is a comedic horror. I mean, there's definitely comedy to it. Uh, Nicholas Cage plays a guy that ends up getting locked into a place called Willie's Wonderland. Think uh, Chuck E. Cheese or Showbiz if the animatronic creatures were possessed by demonic entities. Aren't they? (laughs) And throughout the movie, Nicolas Cage has no lines. He does not speak a word. He has facial expressions and is very active in the movie. But he never speaks. So you get Nicolas Cage on screen, not speaking, being a complete badass, just destroying these demonic things. But you'll have moments like uh, the kids that sneak in, they're getting ready to fight one of these demonic things. And suddenly his watch goes off. So it's break time. So Nick Cage just hands his knife, the knife over to the girl and then goes off to the break room. And she's got to survive until he comes back. The creatures are legitimately creepy. Uh, like, I just, this movie was so much fun. And it was not what I expected. You never know what you're going to get when you go into a Nicolas Cage movie. I have other never heard the, of this movie. Other than <laughs> Nicolas Cage being himself. Yeah. It is I, on Hulu, if you have. I, I will say it is not scary, but it is fun. And I, I've been looking forward to watching it. And it's funny you mention it, because I literally just... I had some time yesterday. I'm like, I'm finally going to see Willie's Wonderland. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it is just fun. Yeah. So I liked it. So, Paul. Yes, sir. Well, so my selection is, um, again, uh, I went with more recent uh, for my movies Uh, available now. I think it's probably on a streaming service, but I don't recall which one. Um, 
I think it's on Showtime, actually, is the movie X. X came out earlier this year, and uh, it it is basically it's directed by Ty West, who is a very popular modern horror director. And it it features a a, a, it's set in the 70s and it's basically a group of of young, you know, young people. And they 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 have rented out a, a farmhouse. But like the, the farm is pop, you know, is owned by this old couple. Um, but basically, they they they're renting a room from the farmhouse, and unbeknownst to the couple renting to them, they are filming a porno there. Mm. And um, when the old couple finds out, things go horribly awry. Um, it's all very very bloody and brutal and gory, but it is it is very much an homage again to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. The trailers um, for this movie looked so good, but I hadn't seen it. it so I'm glad to hear so you enjoy good. it. It is so good. And it, but, you know, again, in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of way. So if you're not into that kind of of horror, mm-hmm. you're not going to enjoy it. But I, I, I truly enjoyed X. But the reason I bring up X isn't so much just for that. It's that it, the the one of in, in the movie, like I said, there's an older couple that owns the farm and um, the lady, her name is Pearl. And at, you know. End credits roll of the movie of, of X, and all of a sudden it pops up a, a trailer for a prequel to X named hmm. Pearl. Hmm. Um, now Pearl features uh, the same. So the the one throughput besides the director Ty West is this actress Mia Goth. Um, she's been in uh, a number of films. I, I I haven't seen much with her, but uh, she I know she was in. I don't know. She's been she's been in a number of films, just not stuff I've necessarily seen. I guess I should say. And, you know, she plays she does double duty in X. She plays both the elderly Pearl as well as one of the um, young people that's part of the crew mm-hmm. that's making the porno. Well, <laughs> in the, the then the sequel or I guess prequel Pearl came out and features basically Mia Goth playing a young Pearl in 1918. Um, and you kind of see the evolution of Pearl in a very psycho-esque manner, you, you basically see her when when she started to lose her shit <laughs> um, and eventually grew up to be this elderly lady who, who murders people. Um, and Pearl, you know, it's all, you know, despite the fact that you're seeing horrible, horrible things, um, it's kind of got this, because of the time period, it's all filmed very Wizard of oz um, you know, like, like um, like Werewolf by Night. <laughs> yeah, like Werewolf by Night. It's kind of got this Wizard of Eyes, like 1918, beautiful Technicolor vibe to it. Um, the filming is absolutely, the cinematography on it is beautiful. And Mia Goth, again, an actress that I wasn't 100% familiar with, but looking at it, she was in A Cure for Wellness. She was in the remake of Suspiria. Um, she's been in, in, in a couple of things. She really gives, you know, when, when the movie ended, I was like, Mia Goth, like, just totally blew me away in that movie. She gives an Academy Award level performance in a horror movie. Um, and I was just like, I was truly just like everyone brought their a game to Pearl. Mm-hmm. I don't believe it's on streaming yet. Um, or if it's, you know, if it's not, it probably will be soon. Cause it's been in the theaters for a little bit. Yeah. Um, again, it is very much a prequel to X. I don't think you have to watch X to watch Pearl. Um, but apparently they, they kind of filmed this trilogy in secret because everyone knew that X was being done and then, but no one knew Pearl was happening. And at the end of Pearl, there's a a teaser for a film called Maxine, which is 
a sequel set in the 1980s um, featuring a character from from the original X. So it's kind of like they 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 said they were filming one movie. They made three and it's, they're all tied together in this like generational horror story. And I just really one, I appreciated that about it, but also the just the acting and cinematography in Pearl. Uh, I it truly blew me away. I was totally unexpected. Wow. So that is my horror movie recommendation. Very good. Well, we are now up to the horror TV shows. And uh, as in keep uh, since I, I'm I'm not recommending, you know, things that I've recommended previously, I won't talk about Millennium here today. But uh, <laughs> but if you can find it, because I don't think it's even I don't think that's available anywhere. Uh, I there it, it's on one of the streamers. Oh, and is it? I, OK. Yeah. And I think it might be free V or Tubi. It's one of those that's oh. uh, free with ads. Even better. Yeah. Um, and in keeping with free with ads, uh, I'll come back to that. My recommendation is a two night TV film that was out. I, I, they weren't calling the miniseries yet, I don't believe, but it was it was a two night television film event. It was a BBC production called Frankenstein: The True Story back in 1973. Uh, I actually remember watching this when it broadcast originally. Uh, so I was six years old at the time. And the movie, you know, has some just really striking visuals. It's a British production. It is very much produced in the likeness of a Hammer horror film. Uh, you know, it tells the, sto- the story of young Victor Frankenstein, you know, uh, engaging in his, you know, mad science, mad science. Uh, but he doesn't discover the secret of resurrection, on his own, he you know partners with another guy who who comes in with the majority of the science, and turns out that guy stole it from another scientist called Doctor Polidori, played by James Mason. Uh, he, there are a lot of familiar faces in this uh, British production. You've got Michael Sarazen. Jane Seymour, who plays the bride of Frankenstein. Uh, Agnes Moorhead, who you might re- remember as, uh, you know, the mother-in-law, the the witchy mother-in-law on Bewitched. Uh, I mean, there's just a lot of lot of familiar faces in this thing. Uh, Sir John Gilgood is in it. And the original production was 90 minutes each night, so two hours each night with commercials. Um, that 90 that that three hour production is available on free V, you know, so it's the free streaming app with ads. Uh, but it is a, it has been edited down to a two hour movie. And because I didn't want to get my DVDs out this weekend, I watched it on free V. And let me tell you, they cut the goo out of that thing. In fact, there are edits that make absolutely no sense. In fact, there is an entire scene uh, early on in the film where uh, Dr. Frankenstein and the scientist that he's working with run into James Mason in the street, uh, Dr. Polidori. And the the edit just goes, you know, hello. You know, James Mason says, hello, James Mason says. And then it cuts to commercial and it comes back and there's no James Mason on the screen. We've gone to a whole different scene. And that scene is important because it establishes that uh, Dr. Frankenstein's friend has stolen this science from James Mason. And James Mason returns, you know, uh, later in the show 
to you know wreak havoc on the life of, uh, of 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 poor Dr. Frankenstein. Now the great thing about this is that the Frankenstein monster is born in this in this in this uh, TV show movie whatever you want to call it, uh, and he's beautiful. You know he is, he is a perfect human specimen, but it's as his as he ages, the process begins to reverse itself, and this is where you see some really great hammer horror um, uh, special effects. Uh, one of the guys who worked on the on the horror on the Hammer horror films uh, did the makeup in this, and you know to to make the monster more monstrous. Um, there is a terrific scene later in the film where uh, the monster uh, confronts Prima, his bride, Jane Seymour, and tears her head off, you know, at the at her coming out party <laughs> and you know shows it to everybody in, in, in the ballroom. I mean, th- there are so many just brilliant images in that that just burned itself into my six year old brain. Uh, I, 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 I love this thing. And even though it's cut to death, it's just cut to pieces in, uh, in the free V movie, there's still a lot there to like. So I, I highly recommend if you can get the DVD to see the full thing, or if you, if you, if you just want to watch it free, uh, it is worthwhile. It's got a terrific ending. Uh, it's just a great show. I love it. Wayne. I struggled with this category a little bit because I don't watch a lot of horror TV shows. Uh, I tried to come up with something newer, but they're really not watching anything newer that I would recommend. So I went back and this is the only category that I went way back for a recommendation on. And I'm going with the original HBO Tales from the Crypt. Mm, That is that is in the way back machine. Yes, I used to love that show. And I think the show was way better than the movies that they made. You know, giving them a bigger budget and more room to play actually hurt the story, mm-hmm. I think, because the hour long stories were far more concise. Or no, the 30 minute stories were right. far more concise than their attempt to expand it to a full hour. But yeah, the Crypt Keeper was fun. The stories were kind of like uh Taking Twilight Zone stories up another level and being HBO, they had a little more ability to be free with what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Do you have a standout episode that you like there, Wayne? No, not at this point, because it's been so long since I've actually watched it. Mostly, I just enjoyed the Crypt Keeper framing the stories. Mm -hmm. And because he was again, he was a fun character. I love Tales from the Crypt. I, I, I don't I, I don't think that's on HBO Max. I could be wrong. But I, I don't know. I've not looked for it. Yeah, I haven't either. Yeah, well, <laughs> we're a lot of help. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's available somewhere. Just Google Tales from the Crypt streaming. But I, I feel like it's probably not. I think a lot of that stuff uh, at the time uh, may not be streaming because of rights issues. They have to change music or something like that. So for me, um, you know, I. I do obviously I watch a lot of horror. I don't watch a lot of horror TV shows. I, I do enjoy um, some of the Netflix ones like The House on uh, The Haunting of Hill House and and Bly Manor and Midnight Mass and all that. Um, but actually, I'm gonna revisit a TV show um, that we've talked about on this podcast before. Uh-oh. So the the most recent Halloween movies uh, I, I, are have been you know written and directed by uh, David Gordon Green and um, I forget the other guy's name. Uh, but 
I have not enjoyed this most recent round of Halloween movies, you know, the, the Michael Myers Halloween movies. And, you know, part of that is just, oh, Danny McBride is also um, mm-hmm. the, the other writer on those movies. And they announced that those guys had been hired to also co-write and direct a new Exorcist film. And that made me sad because I really, really do not care for this recent uh, bout of Halloween movies. And so, but it, it, on, on, on top of that, you know, they're like, oh, you know, we're going to, I don't think it's going to be a reboot. I think it's actually going to be a sequel. And I'm like, they've already done that and they've already done it perfectly. And that brings me to my selection, which is the Exorcist TV show. It is oh, available so on good. Hulu. So uh, good. It's so good. And, you know, it, so it features an all-star cast. Um, now, I will say there are two seasons and the second one kind of ends on, I don't want to say a cliffhanger, but it, it ends in a way that I think they were hopeful a season three was going to come and it didn't. So even though I really love the second season, the the one I would recommend is the first season. Because mm-hmm. I feel like you can watch the first season. And even though the second season's good, it, it feels incomplete. So if you just watch the first season and walk away, I think you you will be satisfied at how effectively and well done this TV show is as a sequel to the original Exorcist movie. Yeah. Um and and the fact that they did it on straight Fox, it's not like it was an FX show right. or a cable show or streaming. It was just on Fox, but it has the feel of a, you know, a, an adult HBO type show. It is so good. And you know, The Exorcist is probably one of the scariest movies of all time. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite horror movies of all Absolutely. time. Absolutely. This did so well in, in making a sequel to it. Well, and it's right in that zone for me in horror you know because i i really you know paul you enjoy a wide range of horror you like the slasher stuff you like the 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 supernatural stuff you're kind of you you enjoy the whole thing i very much lean into the supernatural piece of it uh so the exorcist you know hit me right between the eyes and it is legit the scariest thing i've ever seen it still bothers me (laughs) uh when i'm having nightmares there is an image from the exorcist that always gets me uh and you know it's that that flash cut scene of the face of the demon you know the black faced Mm -hmm. face of the demon that will show up in my nightmares from time to time and uh yeah still bothers me um, I, I agree with you. I think both seasons are terrific. Um, I, I it breaks my heart that they didn't come back for a season three because they set up so much wonderful stuff. They did uh, that w- that I would have loved to have seen pay off. I just I really dug that show. Yeah. And it's the it's the shame of any time I see something good show up on Fox because uh, they just don't they don't give stuff enough time. Other short of the X Files, they just don't give yeah. stuff enough. Time to and, or they give it too long, like the X-Files. Yeah, like the X-Files. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Well, you know, we're, we are now to uh, favorite novel. And, you know, I regretted, you know, I'm the one who set the categories this year. And, and I regretted uh, that I didn't throw a, a broader uh, written text. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I should have gone favorite non-graphic novel book uh, because I, I uh, recently – uh, read the um, oral history of uh, Buffy the Vampire, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and uh, Angel, and it's a it's a it was written before Joss Whedon's uh, you know falling out, 
you know, his, uh, you know, before him being canceled as it were. Um, so it is, it, it's, it's sort of a, a, uh, it doesn't approach any of that stuff, but it does provide a, just a lovely oral history of the making of both of those shows. And I do highly recommend it, but that is not my example because it's not a novel. Uh, my, uh, my offering for you today on the altar of good horror movie, uh, a horror novel, I should say, uh, is a novel by friend of the podcast, the British author, Daryl Gregory. Uh, <laughs> um, it's, that's a way back joke. Sorry. Um, Daryl Gregory wrote and writes terrific uh, supernatural and horror novels. And, you know, he, he wrote one that I am just amazed that it hasn't been picked up for TV series because his, his novel Spoonbenders, which is about a uh, family of, of really sort of gypsy scam artists, you know, of, uh, uh, you know, sort of set in the seventies, eighties is just terrific and just seems to lean itself into like an FX series. But the, the novel that I'm recommending is his most recent horror novel called Revelator. And it is set in the uh, Prohibition era and up in the Appalachian Mountains and, you know, really leans into, you know, moonshining and, uh, you know, running booze. And this, you know, hillbilly family that has their own religion. It's not just their family. It's an entire community that has their own religion. Uh, and it's very much a cult of personality. You know, there there is, you know, the central reverend, if you will. And come to find out in this family, there is always a woman in the family who is connected to their own God, their own living God who lives there in the mountains. And I'm not going to give anything away because it's such a terrific reveal. Uh, but the revelator, each generation has a revelator and that, that is the person, the, the woman in the family who reveals the message of their God. And this book is terrific. It, talks about family it talks about uh you know uh, the role of women within family and and how you know uh certainly during this time men tried to control them and to take their power into their own um i I just the book is fascinating i love the characters i love the story i love the reveal in the book uh it is fantastic and as with all daryl gregory novels uh i am reading it for a second time now uh i i I find that i reread his books quite a bit in fact the minute i finish revelator again i'm going to go back and reread spoonbenders because i think spoonbenders might be my favorite of his books but uh, revelator really a, a a a terrific book highly recommended Wayne. All right, I'm going with the first book that I read by Scott Sigler. Uh, that's the very first book in his Pandemic trilogy, and it's called Pandemic. So it is a sci-fi horror involving you know alien invasion, things like that. But what's really creepy about it to me, what gets to me, is it's body horror. There are alien spores that grow out of the main character's body and you get it from his perspective as you know multiple spots on his body suddenly grow eyes and then he can hear them in his head and 
just throughout the book, you follow the descent into madness of the main character as these creatures growing inside him make him more paranoid. So he's afraid to go to hospitals and have it looked at, you know, and being a sci-fi one, there's obviously a lot of action to it. You know, they, they deal with the situation, but it was my first foray into body horror. And I have to say out of all the horror genres, that's the one that really just freaks me out the most is getting into body horror and having, you know, things that you can't control happening to your body. Do I recall correctly? I, I I don't think that I've ever read a Scott Sigler book, but he's the guy who got his start by releasing his stories uh, in podcasts. He is. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Yep. And Pandemic was his first New York Times bestseller. Yeah. Very good. Paul? You know, I struggled with this one because I don't read a lot of modern horror. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't read. I, well, I shouldn't say that. I don't read a lot of horror novels in general. Is it because I, it, you can't read? It is. It's because yeah. I, I, after years of reading nothing but comic books, <laughs> reading a novel just puts me to sleep five minutes in. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> it, that happens when you go into your 40s, people. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I I don't read a lot of horror novels, new horror novels. Um, but I, I find that when I do revisit something, you know, a horror book, it, it is typically an older one. It's typically a shorter book. Um, because that's honestly probably what, when I think of horror, I, you know, I, I revisit a lot of the classics. So, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula and, you know, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. But for me, I always come back to two writers and it's because one, they are concise in their writing and two, they paint a, a, a beautiful visual picture that when I think about Halloween, um, I think of some of the imagery from these writers and either their books or what's been adapted, um, you know, from their books. And those two writers are Richard Matheson mm-hmm. and Ray Bradbury. Yeah. And so, you know, when it, when it comes to this time of year, I think what, of the book that I would recommend is Something Wicked This Way Comes um, from Ray Bradbury. Oh, yeah. I'm a huge Bradbury fan. I had a, a chance when I was in Chicago recently to go to the uh, Museum of American Writers, and they had a Bradbury exhibit going on. Ooh, well, that's nice. You know, I'm a Martian Chronicles fan myself. Like, I mean, you know, and, and on top of that, on top of being classic horror literature, and not just horror literature, but literally like this time of year horror mm-hmm. literature, um, also both writers are great in the science fiction space, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but, you know, the reason I, I chose Something Wicked This Way Comes is, you know, it's, it, it was written in the 60s, or released in the 60s, I should say, and it's a... It, you know, all of the modern interpretations of creepy carnivals and creepy clowns and, and things like that really, you know, if you were to trace them back, you know, people would say it. But I think it and you know, Stephen King in general, obviously informed by Ray Bradbury. Sure. And so I, I you know, I, I, what I like about it is, you know, as a kid, these are the types of books I read, because in addition to being scary, they weren't just scary. But, the, you know, this also features it's a story about kids and it's got a fantasy element to it. And that kind of scratched me right where I itch growing up. And so that's that is the uh, the recommendation I would have. There was also a movie, but I will admit I have not seen that movie in probably 30 years. Maybe I, more. 
I've never seen it. I was always turned off by the trailer for that for that movie. Yeah. You know, the trailer never looked good for me. So therefore, I have never seen the film. Well, apparently it was a very uh, I don't want to say controversial, but I think it was controversial. I I think that I yeah, not not in terms of like scandalous or something, but I think that the the critics were really divided about that film. Yeah. And Ray Bradbury had something to do with the movie, but apparently there was just a lot of behind the scenes drama because it was an 80 ish film. Right. It was uh, the movie uh, itself. Um, yeah, nineteen eighty three. That's what I thought. Okay, yeah. Well, I, you mentioned uh, Mary Shelley and uh, Bram Stoker. You know, uh, you know Dracula and uh, Frankenstein. Um, I've reread both of those during uh, pandemic, and let me tell you, you know, both of those books just really hold up. You know, a lot of books, you know, that are you know that old. A lot of times, you know, it's hard to get them to to translate, mm-hmm. you know, there's the way the story unfolds. And both of those are so damn good and so applicable to today. And what's so fascinating, particularly about Dracula, is that that story by Bram Stoker was told a number of different ways. You know, he he had a different ending in the stage play versus what he has in the novel versus elsewhere. Um it's fascinating to me to read his different endings. You know, uh, I, I, I love I love both of those books. And, and I, I got to tell you, uh, both of them are just chilling in, you know, the 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 horror of those books. Uh, so I, I recommend both of them, in addition to uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes by Mr. Ray Bradbury. There you go. Also, I, w- I recommend Martian Chronicles by also by Mr. Ray Bradbury. <laughs> really, you just can't go wrong if you just pick up a Ray Bradbury book. Yeah, that's true. Fair, that's true. Fahrenheit 451. Yeah. Oh, my God. It just the list goes on. <laughs> hey, Paul. Yes, sir. What's coming out next week? Well, next week, in addition to comic books, Black Adam is released in theaters featuring Dwayne Johnson and Altus Hodge and Pierce Brosnan and and all sorts of goodies. So obviously we'll be talking about that. Um, in the comics world from DC comics, we get the final issue of flashpoint beyond flashpoint beyond issue six comes out. Um, the series that started off kind of slow and somewhere in the third issue started making a turn and just continues to get better. And, you know, knowing that this is leading to the relaunch of the JSA and, um, the star girl and Jeff Johns doing more work for DC. I'm very excited to see how it ends. Yep. We also have the final issue of Batman, the night. From Chip Zdarsky and uh, Carmine D. Jean Domenico. That's been a very entertaining series. I've enjoyed Batman the Night. Yeah. That's another one that honestly just continues to get better. Uh, yeah. So I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one as well. Um, speaking of Batman, One Bad Day, the next novel, or excuse me, the gra- next graphic novel in this One Bad Day series comes out. This one focused on the Penguin, art by Giuseppe Kimunkoli, and um, written by Academy Award winning writer John Ridley. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Huh. Um, yeah. Huh. We get new issues of Deceased and Nightwing from DC Comics. Uh, we also, and for Marvel, we get new issues of Alien and Predator. And for Aaron, the uh, because it's that time of year, we get all new Hellboy. Hellboy in Love number one <laughs> comes out. <laughs> yeah, I saw the solicits on that. It looks good. I'll I'll wait for it in trade. Yeah. But, uh, well, yeah, didn't John Ridley, you know, just kind of revisiting back to One Bad Day, you know, Academy Award winning uh, writer. Did, did he write Star Trek Nemesis? Am I, am I remembering that correctly? Uh, or am uh, I wrong? I 
you are thinking of a different guy. I know who you're okay. talking about, okay. but no. Uh, John Ridley wrote 12 Years a Slave. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, that's right. what he won the Academy Award for. Okay. But yeah, I know what you're talking. I know what he, he he's a he might be a something Ridley. <laughs> okay. All right. Just just checking. Yeah, I just wanted to if uh, you you were going to brag on well, Academy Award winning, but also wrote Nemesis. No, you know? that's John Logan. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I apologize to Mr. John Ridley. I, I did not mean to tarnish his uh, his reputation by no, linking. We'll, we'll see. We'll Nemesis. see how this book is next week. <laughs> Very good. Well, hey, we want to know what you, what your recommendation is for Halloween. We want to know what your favorite comic, TV show, movie, novel is. Let us know. Give us a call, 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. If we use your voicemail on the show, you could win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. You can also hit us up on social media, IOM Geek on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. See, Wayne, that's how it's done. <laughs> yeah, I don't do the social media. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, I hope you all have a uh, a very spooky Halloween season. Uh, you know, come on back next time right here on IOMgeek.com. Blah, blah, blah. Bye. <laughs> Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.